Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I tell you, I'm pumped to be here. I am. I, you know, I was explaining this to the people on the on the on KTTH on our three minute open that I always like doing the show. If nothing else, it's cathartic. It's also a way for me to gather information and 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 stuff from the week and review it and. Uh, I'm just irritated as heck. I just, (laughs) this market is just hilarious. Um, And I think it's, you know, I think it's getting more rational. It's just so far from there. And and listening to all the idiocy out there and all the opinions and on both sides of it, Mark, you know, um, (laughs) it, it, and it just cracks me up, right? You listen to the prognosticators, despite the fact that you go back and listen to what they were saying 12 months ago and that they were just dead wrong. They come out with their new forecast with an equal level of fervor and commitment. And their acolytes just nod and lap it up. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, it's just hilarious. And and it doesn't mean that they can't be right. You know what I mean? Um that's the funny thing about investing, and it's one of the. It can be a very frustrating thing that anytime somebody's making a call, I'll tell you guys a story actually. Um, and this has since been made illegal. I, I'd be surprised that there aren't people that still do it. But you've heard me on the show say before that all too often somebody will get an investment call right, and I'll even put myself in this category. Now, I, I think one of the things that we do here you know, at Bulwark is we have, well, we've got our algorithmic portfolio and then the portfolio I run is our value unconstrained model, which is just fundamental investing. And so I I would like to think that one of the things that we do, you know, our call on oil was not us reading the charts. It was just looking at macroeconomic data. Um, Same with our call on going, being short tech going into this year. It was just interest rates and inflation are going up. Um, That slows down the economy and hits, you know, high valued stocks the hardest. So that, you know, there's, Things like that. But when you make these, these market prognostications, the thing that we have to remember is just because somebody gets it right or somebody gets a big trade right, remember, anytime you make a trade, whether you sell or buy, there's somebody on the other side of that, which means regardless of what happens, regardless of the outcomes, regardless of, right, somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. And all too often, whoever's right, we, we, we you know, put a crown on their head and tell them uh, is the market genius this is the guy we got to listen to. You know, uh, you know, I, I think about Jim Cramer fawning all over Kathy Wood and, Oh, she's brilliant. And then 14 months later, him going, she's reckless. She's reckless. Like when he said oil was uninvestable two years ago. Um, and it's not me picking on people, but it's, it's me trying to educate and trying to show you guys that there is nobody that knows if you're looking for a guru, you're going to get had. Okay. And, and that's why we do the things the that's why we do things the way we do them manage risk because it's the only thing that you can do it's the only thing that you really know that you have control over you can go over the fundamental side of it right and you and you can do that but even the best fundamental investors are right 65% of the time buffett's hit rate is 65% now what is buffett really good at he's good at eliminating the losses managing the risk on his losers and letting his winners run and that's really the only thing that you have control over and like we've seen too, you can be 100% right economically and the investment in a certain time frame may not turn out like that. So anyway, I, I, and then when things get tough like this and it's funny to watch it happen. And I was, I was telling the folks again on the, on the intro that, you know, for those of you that I think most of you know this, but you can follow me on Twitter at KYR radio. And the reason I got on there was because there's a, there's a financial community on there. Uh, a bunch of my buddies are on there, other money managers, fund managers, and it's just a phenomenal place to share research, share ideas back and forth, bounce things off of people. And it's the only social media I've ever been involved with. 
and uh, don't do Instagram. Never did Facebook, MySpace, you name it. I TikTok. <laughs> Some, I, I think I had a we had a guy call in that said he'd heard about us on TikTok, and I was sitting there going, mm, I don't think so. I'm not a TikToker. Is that even what you call them? I, I don't know. Um, I don't even know anything about it. I don't even know my kids do it. But uh, you got to be. What's funny though is when you get in these crazier times, you can watch these people. They can spin. And then they start grabbing onto these who they think are these gurus that put up their market prognostications with absolutely no data, no information. Oh, this is what I think, you know, from their ivory tower. And guys, if you're an adult, okay, and you've probably heard this before, but quit, don't guru search. Nobody has the answers, okay? Nobody, all you can do is manage risk and exposure. That is it, okay? That's it. Now, again, can fundamental research and really knowing what you own help you? Yes, but over the longer run. And I'm going to give you a perfect example of what I mean. So in the last, what is it, last month, I think oil got up as high as like, what, 120, 125. It's now at like 109. Uh, got as low as 104, then bounced back to 115. Now it's right in the middle, 108, 109, 110, somewhere in there. And uh, one of our stocks, and I want to name which one it is, but... Over that, over that pullback from 120 to 109, one of our oil stocks dropped 35%. Um, now, here's the funny thing. First of all, where it was <clears throat> when it was 35% higher, uh, it was stupid cheap. I mean, ridiculously cheap, as in throwing off 50% free cash flow to market cap. Okay, now, again, I don't want to just say these words out there because I've had people say, Zach, you say stuff like that and glosses my eyes over. My aunt was actually lecturing me about this the other day. We were at a family thing and she's the sweetest woman in the world. Love her to death. And uh, so I don't mean if she's listening, she knows who she is. Um, and I don't mean it as a bad thing, but it was actually a good reminder. She goes, Zach, I just love listening to the show. I think it sounds fun and upbeat and all that. And she goes, but you know, I got to tell you half the time, I don't know what you're talking about. So when we say market capitalization, it's really simple. That is all the shares outstanding added up together what the company's worth, what the market believes the company's worth, right? So Apple's market cap, I think, is right around $2.1 trillion, right? Amazon's like right around $1.2 or something like that. And, and that's just all of the existing shares outstanding at their current price added together, and that's the valuation of the company. So to put it, and we have used this example before, so for those of you that have heard it, bear with me, but I really want to explain this because I want to show you how irrational markets can be, especially right now. Uh, so think of a market cap as like the value of a house, okay? And think of free cash flow. Now, this isn't a perfect example, but, but it's very close. Think of free cash flow like what you can get for rent, okay? So when we say 50% free cash flow to market cap, it is like buying a million-dollar house that you can rent for $500,000 a year, okay? So first of all, if you had – now, people are like, okay, so I need to look for companies that have 50% free cash flow. Yeah, you should look for them, but at the same time, you shouldn't confine your investments to stocks like that because you will not find many of them. And if you find a couple over the course of your career – uh, that is a really lucky break um, just because most times markets don't let stocks get that cheap, right? That's insane, right? If somebody tells you, hey, I got a million dollar house to sell you. You can rent it for 500 grand a year. Uh, your question shouldn't be, will I do it? The question should be, how many of them do you have? I'll take all that you got. And the reason why people are like, well, the value of the house go down. Well, yeah, but you only need to free cash flow for two years like that. And you've ROI'd. You've gotten all your money back. You've gotten your return on investment. So everything you make after that, even if you can only sell the house at that point for 250 grand, right? You're, that's a 25% gain. So, you know, it's a ridiculous scenario. So one of the oil companies anyway had 50% free cash flow to market cap. So it's ridiculously cheap. Okay, so oil sells off, drops from 120, 125, somewhere in there to 109. Price of the stock goes down 35%. Okay, now that's ridiculous in and of itself. What's more ridiculous is the company has all of its oil production hedged at $90 a barrel. So what that means is they buy options and things like that that basically lock in. So if the price of oil drops, you know, to like 70 or whatever, they're still between the money they're making on the options and the oil they're selling, uh, their revenue doesn't go down. 
right? So with this company, theoretically, oil could go to 60 bucks a barrel, and they're still going to sell all their oil for the next 16 months at effectively $90 a barrel. Okay, so the price of the stock sells off when oil drops from 120 to 109 Drops 35%. And I'm just, is it frustrating? Yeah, it's really frustrating. But I'm sitting there dying laughing and people are like, oh, you got to get out of these energy companies because oil's falling. And you go, first of all, <laughs> the last time oil was at these levels, the average energy stock was three times higher than it currently is. Second of all, this other one that you just blew out of the water, that drop from 120 to 109 or 105 has, didn't lower their profit outlook a dime. Nothing changed. And that's, it's just, it is, it's just madness. And I, I honestly think that there's a lot of reasons behind it, right? There's a lot of negativity around oil and energy. I get all that. I also think that it is, we are still dealing with with the vestiges of the biggest, longest bull market in U.S. history where fundamentals really didn't matter, right? It was all, all about jumping on the momentum trade. And I'm watching even, even previously pretty stalwart, disciplined investors. Everybody has just gone to looking at charts. Do we pay attention to charts? Yes. Right? Technical analysis is real. It it works. But like I tell our guys, technical analysis doesn't tell us what to buy. But it helps us in deciding when to buy and sell. Right? Because we want to own, we want to know what we own. We want to own real assets. We don't want to be gambling on, you know, Bitcoin companies or, you know, whatever, you know, where, where, where there is real, there is no real value. The value is just kind of changing on a day-to-day basis based on what investors feel or think that day. And that is still running rampant. And so for those of you that are wondering if we're at a bottom, that would suggest that we're not. There was another interesting thing that came out. Michael Burry, the, the, the famous guy from the big short, right in the big short, he's that kind of you know, uh, I, what's the right word? Uh, eclectic, kind of different uh, on the spectrum. Uh, I believe he's, I think he has Asperger's, the guy with the glass eye and the big short, right? The original guy that got on to the, to shorting the, uh, the mortgage-backed securities. Uh, he came out the other day and said, look, you know, we're down 20% on the S&P, 30% on the NASDAQ. Um, you know, from my, my work and everything, I, you know, I think that this is just the market normalizing to higher rates and inflation. And now we probably need to, we're probably about halfway through the drop. Uh, and now we need to start factoring and dropping our earnings, right? Uh, cause earnings are falling. And I, I couldn't agree with him more. Like you guys have heard me say this for a year and a half, interest rates go up, valuations need to come down. That's the way it works. Now you've got an economy entering recession. Now you have to build into the price of these stocks falling, uh, profits. So I don't think we're anywhere close. Um, Now, there are things that could change. Like, you know, if you get some let up in Ukraine or whatever, you'd probably see oil fall off pretty hard. and You'd probably see the markets rally pretty hard. That could make an interim bottom. I don't think it really changes the big picture, though. Um, It could fuel one heck of a bear market rally. That's the other thing we got to be careful about in these environments. If you're bulled up or excuse me, if you're bared up and short this market, I think eventually it'll probably pay off. Um, at least that's our viewpoint from now, right? That could change at any moment, but you have to be careful of those bear market rallies, especially in a market like this, where everybody, this is still an Alice in Wonderland market where you can believe as many six impossible things before breakfast. I think that was the line that she had in the movie. But, uh, so anyway, let's, let's get to the, the, um, the rest of it. Oh, I wanted to make a quick correction, guys. When I screw up and say something, I, I, somebody mentioned something to me, the way I was talking about inflation numbers. Okay, and I went back and listened to it, and it was a little bit confusing. Um, I was talking about the difference between nominal growth and real growth. Okay, so nominal growth is when you say, okay, the economy expanded by this percentage, and you don't take anything into consideration. What we look at in economics is real growth, which is growth minus inflation. Okay, so um, I think I got off on a tangent or whatever, but I was saying that it made it sound like I was saying that if you have negative 1.6% real growth, then you need to subtract inflation from there. That number has that baked in. So when the the Fed announces their GDP numbers, I was looking at the Fed now cast, which is different. Anyway, I don't want to get you confused. Anyway, to be clear, when they produce their GDP numbers, that is factoring inflation into it. They are releasing real economic growth numbers. Okay. So I just want to make a correction there. I don't want to, I don't want to be leading anybody astray. Um, and so, okay. So moving on, um, looking at this market in general, you guys, it kind of reminds me of the sell and may go away thing. If you're a home gamer, um, 
this is what we call a chop shop. This market is getting thrown around at a bunch of different angles, and it is not paying attention to anything fundamental. And that is evidenced by what I was just telling you about the oil stocks. Okay, so things are moving big one way or the other. Some people blame it on algorithms. Some people blame it on passive ETF flows. Who knows, right? All I'm saying is this is one of the reasons why I would be surprised if you saw this market sell off really hard in the summer just because volumes lighten up. We look at this week, volumes are about half their average levels on the exchanges. So I think a lot of this whipping around you're seeing is just algorithmic program trading, right? They're chasing each other. Um, you know, high frequency trading. I just don't really think you can glean a lot from these markets. Um, now I could be wrong in this crazy market. Maybe this will be a summer where the bottom does drop out. Um, I would think though, at some point in this market, I think you still got to be guarded against a big bear market rally. Cause we really haven't seen one. And again, there are people out there that are still just dying, looking for an excuse to get in there and buy with both hands. Um, and so you need to be careful about that. You don't want to just, there is nothing more painful than getting slaughtered while markets are going vertical. Okay. So you don't want to get stuck in that. Um, another quote, again, don't mean to beat up on the guy. I actually think he means well, I know there are people out there that will laugh when I say that. I don't think that he's a char. Well, I think he can be a bit of a charlatan at times talking in an uninformed way, but I don't think he's purposefully misleading people. I think, I think he means well, that's Jim Cramer. Do I agree with him often? no. But I don't think he's a bad human being. Um, but he was sitting there on his show the other night saying, or a night ago, two nights ago, I didn't watch it, but I just read a clip. He was saying, well, there's a lot of bad news priced into this market. Guys, I, I don't know what he's talking about. You, you still have an S&P 500 right now. I, I saw another guy on Twitter saying, you got to buy when there's blood in the streets. Okay, guys, you're trading at 20 times earnings with, with earnings falling rapidly. Okay, with companies giving weak guidance saying earnings are going down, you've got preliminary GDP reads coming out now on the second quarter that has us down between one to one and a half percent. If that carries through, which I, I don't see how it won't, you are officially in a recession right now. Okay, buying stocks at the beginning of a recession when the market is trading at 20 times earnings, that's not blood in the street. Does that mean the market can't rally from here? No, but this is not a cheap market at all. Okay, so there is no blood in the streets. Now, if you're in cryptocurrency, you might be able to say there's blood in the streets. Okay, but the market pulling back from all-time highs, like I said, this is still one of the most expensive markets in U.S. history if you normalize for earnings. Okay, so these things are not at a bargain. Are they more attractive than they were six months ago? Sure. But, you know, you're by and large, you're still looking at a very expensive market. And there's pockets, right? Energy is super cheap. Commodities still are super cheap. Um, like I said, uh, uh, nobody's really paying attention to fundamentals. Uh, let's, what else, what else do we have in the rundown here? Um, oh yeah. The, and the, you know, the people still looking to buy the dip in tech. I I will just still tell you, you you could get a big trade out of it. Like if a bear market rally occurs, you know, I would expect the arcs of the world, the Teslas of the world to rip. Um, but again, just be careful. I, I just, I, I cannot, you know, if, if, if it was, if it was, feasible well i'm trying to think of the right way to put this if i was just trading my own account i probably the only thing i would hold on is to our energy plays and i'd probably even hedge those up a little bit as a trade but i'd probably just be sitting in all cash and we've got a big portion of cash on the balance sheet so if my listeners but or our clients don't call and be like well then what are we doing <clears throat> we're hedged up we're sitting all cash i'm just saying for the home gamers at home um, you know, selling may go away. I think that's probably pretty good advice. I, I just, I don't think you're going to miss out on some great big rally, but don't do, I also don't know how much you're down this year. So I'm not telling you how to manage your portfolios. I just think that you need to be extraordinarily careful here. Um, uh, let's see. We, okay. Now for the rest of the show, we don't have a interview today cause we had to move it. Um, I'm trying to finalize it. And if I do, I should have an awesome one for next week. It always gets a little harder to connect during uh, uh, summers here. But today we're going to do next segment. We're going to do a little energy update. Um, and then the segment after that, we're going to talk about a recession update. And I'm going to go deeper into those numbers that I was just telling you about that suggest we are in a recession, like I've been saying for about the last month or month and a half or so. And then the final segment of the day, we're going to do questions. We're getting more and more uh, uh, listeners emailing in questions, calling in questions. So I want to address a few of those. So anyway, if you want a risk-managed approach, people that are actually doing fundamental research, people that are, 
Uh, you know, we got hit a little bit this last week. I think our stock portfolios are down six on the year. Market's down 21, 22, something like that. NASDAQ's down 31. Uh, our average total client account is down like one and a half, two percent, something like that. That's how that that's how a retirement portfolio should behave in these environments. Okay, if that's what you want, if you're getting beat up, if your bonds are getting hit and your stocks are getting hit, do something because it's most likely not going to get better. Okay, you need to recognize that the structure of your portfolio is broken. Call us eight six six seven seven nine risk again eight six six seven seven nine risk. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy we teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet common sense investing learn how to protect your portfolio against loss but still seek to grow your assets call zach now for your free copy of common sense investing 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement bulwark capital management is an investment advisor representative of trek financial llc and sec registered investment advisor You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. This is a short one. I ran over on the opener. The the masterful millennial himself, Darren, has told me that I got to keep it concise really quick. Um, Talking about the bear market rallies that I think you need to look out for. Remember, I think, are you better off playing this market from a fundamental position? Absolutely. Okay, because because all of the non-fundamental parts of this market have been pulled out, right? You now have interest rates going up. So we no longer have financial zero gravity, which is 0% interest rates. We now have the Federal Reserve on the sidelines. They're the ones that have been pouring the drinks all these years. And yet you still have everybody climbing over each other to grab the things that have worked in the last cycle that were that were pushed forward, right? That were that were advanced by those conditions. When those conditions change, you got to change with them. Okay, so do not get panicked that you're missing out on the runs. You got to stay disciplined in these times. You're going to get those big bear market rippers. We haven't had any yet. And quite honestly, I think we're due. Maybe this could be the start of it. And you can trade it, but you got to be careful. Because when you look at it from a fundamental viewpoint, this market should go down a lot more. A lot more. It's still extraordinarily expensive. You know, the, the, this market could lose another 20 or 30%, and the, the valuation on the market could stay steady. Right? That, that's, that's, that's what this earnings outlook is looking like. And like I said, 20 times earnings on the S&P 500, guys, that ain't cheap. Right? After the last two recessions, the, the financial crisis and the, and the tech bubble bursting, the S&P got down to nine times earnings. Right? So... I'm not saying that'll happen again. Nobody knows. Like I said, if you know, certainty is the hallmark of the charlatan. But can that happen? Yeah, it can. And I will be surprised if we don't see vicious bear market rallies because that's kind of been the, the, the hallmark of this market is craziness, right? It pushes to the max. Most expensive market of all time. Quickest drop in all time. Quickest rally back to new, all, uh, new all-time highs of all time. I just This is not a market to trade. In my opinion, you want to put a few trades in there, here or there, that's fine. But this is a chop shop. And me and Marcos have talked about this before. As professional investors, when you see a market in the chop shop, the best thing you can do is just sit back and, and, and don't touch anything, right? Sit on your hands. You try to start playing those moves, you're going to get diced up. Anyway, all right, we're going to be right back and talk about our energy update. Stick with us through the break. This is Know Your Risk Radio. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Huh. 
This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Okay, so this is not a truncated segment. We're going to get after it. And I am going to give you the energy update, okay? So first and foremost, we have been talking. We've been talking about the idiocy of our energy policy here, and not just here, but pretty much in the rest of the world, certainly in the Western economies. Um, And there really is no other way to describe it. I know there are people out there that have different political persuasions to be like, oh, that's nonsense. It's the Ukraine war. It's not. Is the Ukraine war helping the situation? No. Okay. This is all about a lack of investment and then disruption in the refinery space. And part of that is because we have run our energy markets exactly like we ran the rest of our economy, basically like just in time. We don't have spare capacity. We don't have... um, we run lean, right? Because people want to, companies want to maximize their profits. They don't want to spend unnecessarily. They're, they're, you know, they're trying to be responsible. And what happens is when a dynamic in a market like that changes, it, 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 you're talking about a market that has very little flexibility. It's just like what we had in, in the rest of the economy, right? Supply chain issues. And why did we have those? Well, we had those because you had, by and large, just-in-time inventory management, meaning you had all these little stations around the world that were doing their part. And all the stuff would show up at exactly the right time, and then you'd put it together, and that way companies don't have to take on big amounts of inventory, which cost them money when it's in. It just makes everything more efficient. The problem is, is when one or more of those little stations get disrupted or taken offline, everything else backs up and clogs up. The same can be said of the energy market. Now, what's exacerbating that is the knowledge that we have not invested enough on the energy side and that we're still keeping our foot on the neck of production to a certain degree, right? So there's been a lot of debate. Is this true? One of my arguments has been, look, I think that there are parties out there and there are players out there that are okay with $200, $250 oil. You know, it's going to be more of the elite crowd. They just global, you know, it's the people that it doesn't hurt essentially, right? It's, it's the people that it doesn't hurt. It's the old adage, right? A, a recession is when your neighbor loses a job. A depression is when you lose yours, right? The same is true in this scenario. Um, so I think that there are those parties out there, but one of the things that I was telling you about the current administration based on, and, and that's just me listening to what they're saying. I'm not trying to make judgments, but I was scared. And one of my fears was, is I really don't think this is purposeful. I don't think that anybody in the administration has a handle on what's going on. And why don't I think about that? Because they're talking about Russia and price gouging. And take both those things away, oil probably still be right here. Right? Because the same dynamics of why we were pounding on the table saying energy was a buy, you know, 16 months ago. Right? There was no Ukraine at that time. Nobody was even thinking about that. We were just looking at the underlying parts of the economy and going, look, you've taken a bunch more supply offline of, through companies going bankrupt and things like that. Their wells aren't being maintained. The, the depletion ratio of shale oil is much worse than people thought. Therefore, the costs are higher. Right? We know about inflation, the inflationary pressures. What do you think the inflationary pressures have done to the cost of producing oil? It's pushed it higher. Right? So there's a lot of these different factors. And some people were sitting there going, no, this is all purposeful. Biden knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to, you know, do this. And I just said, you know, look, I don't know. I don't have President Biden on the phone. I can't call him up and ask him what's going on. My suspicion was I just don't think they understand what's going on. Well, there was a there was a, a video released. It was a cell phone video that was taken in Europe. Uh, at the meeting, the, 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 the green energy meeting where they got together and they said, we're all going to come up with $600 billion to build green infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. And th- there was somebody that got close to their little group of people and was taking the cell phone video. And you could actually hear it was Emmanuel Macron talking to Biden and you can actually hear what they were saying. And Biden would, had scheduled his trip to go to, uh, I think it was Saudi Arabia, uh, to talk to them. 
Middle East, I, Kuwait, Qatar, I, I, maybe he wasn't going to go because he said he wasn't going to talk to MBS, but whatever the case may be, he was making a trip to go talk to them about increasing capacity. And I remember at the time scratching my head, and I actually had a conversation with Chase Taylor about this, is our, our research guy, our, our head of research. Um, and we were kind of scratching our heads going, wait a second, is this, is this theater or show? Or do they not really know? That OPEC does not have spare capacity, and if they do, it's very little. It's like this myth that's been going around, like that they just think that they can flip a flip a switch and just start throwing off more oil. That's not the way it works. And it was fascinating to sit there and hear this conversation between Macron and Biden, because Macron was pulling him aside and going, "Listen, I, I understand what you're trying to do, but but you need to understand that they don't have spare capacity." Right. They, you're, you're trying to you're trying to squeeze more blood out of a turnip. Right. It's not there. And you guys could probably pull it up on the Internet and read it. But you could also see the look on Biden's face like he this was news to him. And that's kind of when I got I got a little panicked. I'm not sitting there, where you sit there and go, how is it that the president of the United States and they all the people around him, nobody he's given him the skinny. Right. He doesn't know what the real scenario is. I think he actually thinks it's all about Ukraine and Russia. And, and then and then even after that conversation, I heard one of his heads of energy on the on the on TV the other day saying that we got to tolerate uh, energy. We got to tolerate high energy prices for as long as it takes to save the liberal world. The liberal world order is what he called it. And what he was talking about is we need to tolerate high energy prices until we beat Russia out of Ukraine. First of all, you're not going to get Russia out of Ukraine, not in my opinion. Now, I'm not a political scientist expert, but I, with all the pain Russia's taken, I, just, I, I think Ukraine is far more important to Russia than it is to the rest of Europe. All right. Now, we'll see if that plays out. Again, I'm not a political scientist. I, you know, I'm, I'm not some political insider. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Second of all, guys, oil was pressed in 90 before this even happened. And then what happened? More COVID lockdowns came out. This isn't Russia. I mean, are they helping? No. But do you know that Russia's production, the amount of oil and energy that they're putting on the market is now the same as it was prior? Now it's going to other parts of the world because of the sanctions. My point is, is that there isn't much Russian production that was on the market prior to this that isn't there now. And I'm not trying to dunk on Biden or dunk on his administration. I'm just saying this is one of the things that scares me about how politics has become so ideological that we just fall back on our ideological and philosophical takes without anybody actually doing the work, right? Are you going to bring fossil fuel CEOs into the White House to really understand? Well, not when you've demonized them, right? And that, that was the scary thing to me. And guys, this is not a political thing. Right. High energy prices affect us all. Especially the middle class, especially the lower classes and the younger people and the people that are struggling and the small business owners. Right. You're hurting. the, You're hitting the weakest parts of the and, 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 and it's so this is such a solvable issue. And we're going to talk about and I want to I want to pivot to this right now to say how solvable this is and how bizarre it is. So, you know, it's one of the things people are out there, you know, conspiracy theorists. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You guys know that. I've, I've made a joke, which I'm not a conspiracy theorist because they don't pay well. Uh, and it's true in investing. I've very rarely seen a, a conspiracy take play out, right? But I can understand where the conspiracy theorists are coming from because the actions that, and it's not just us, there's worse policy other places in the world as well. But the actions that these politicians and bureaucrats are taking are, are so illogical and so half-baked that a rational person sits there and goes, okay, this must be intentional. And, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't know. But, but listening to that conversation with Macron and Biden made me think it wasn't. Now, here's another thing that makes me think it is. Okay, so you've got these carbon emission goals, all right, and... There's several different ways to define it. And again, I'm not a climatologist, so I'm not presenting myself to be an expert here. But from the data that I've read and the research that I've read and some of the smart people I've listened to talk that are unbiased, that are practitioners, there are all these goals. And several of those goals, 
if you could get India, okay, with the 1.2 billion people that live there, 1.1, 1.2, something like that, maybe it's even a little more now. But if you could get their emissions basically in line with ours in Europe's, you would pretty much reach all of those climate goals. So then these guys get together in Europe and they all pledge $600 billion for clean energy infrastructure buildup in the U.S. and Europe. Now, on the face of it, that sounds fine, right? But I'm sitting there going, wait, isn't the goal to lower emissions? Aren't we worried about the planet? And if so, why wouldn't we take that $600 billion and invest it in nuclear energy and natural gas for India so they quit burning coal, they quit burning biomass? Why wouldn't we do that? Think of the humanitarian benefits that would give them. Think of the advantages it would give for people to come out of poverty in, your, in, 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 uh, in India. Think of the diseases that that could stop. Think of all the good that could do. And moreover, you'd hit your client. Because here's the issue. Right? In India and China represent 40% of the world's population. India is still growing much faster. China's demographics look like a mess. So really the number one focus, if we're really trying to eliminate emissions and we're trying to get to a a lower emission world and quote unquote save the planet, then ground zero should be India. And it's a head scratcher to me. And these are the types of things that fuel conspiracy theories. And I don't really think it's necessarily a, I mean, it could be. Again, I don't want to get caught up in that because I need to focus on the fundamentals. But th- this is one of the things that, that foments and, and, and you know, spurs on conspiracy theories because you go sit there and go, I thought the goal was lower emissions. Why aren't you putting money into India? This doesn't make any sense. We don't need Europe. And I mean, over time, sure, you know, less emissions, that's great. Cleaner air, who isn't for that? But if we're really trying to hit your targets, why aren't we focused on the, on the easy target, the soft target? The biggest way we could put a dent in carbon emissions is by building out the infrastructure in India, not in France, not in the U.S. Our emissions have been cut by 50% since 1996. Now, we can get cleaner. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we only represent 330 million people. What are we, 4% of the world's population? It's just, I, and I don't know. I don't know, guys. I I don't know whether it's conspiracy, whether it's just idiocy. Um, my whole point is it doesn't matter, right? The outcome, ta- you, you end up at the same place anyway. And it just, I, I personally, I, I lean toward just complete, feckless, idiotic leadership. And I'm not pointing to one party or the other. I'm not, I just, yeah, I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. It just does not make any sense. And please don't call in and say I'm being a Pollyanna. It does make sense because this is the new world. Look, again, I, you could be right. Maybe you're not. I don't know because I don't talk to these people. I don't have a direct line to Gates and Biden and, you know, who and Macron and Merkel. You know, I wish I did, but I don't. But my whole point is it just it's just evidence, again, of regardless of what's driving it, we just got to get sensible energy policy around the world. It just makes my head hurt. And we're blaming it on this and price gouging and Russia and Ukraine. It's just all nonsense. And like I've said before, if it was Russia and Ukraine, why were we saying that this was going to be the problem six months, 16 months ago? Right? Because it was the fundamentals. And it's pretty simple. Oil went negative 37. You wiped out a bunch of companies. They quit servicing and maintaining their wells. A lot of them are going through bankruptcy hearings. That pulls production offline. Then, you know, then you open the economy back up with all these people with pent-up spending. Nobody's made any investments in energy. Then Russia goes offline. That puts issues in the uh, crimps in the refinery space and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's, it's, very, it's a very easy scenario to break down if you're not looking at it through a philosophical and ideological lens. And it just, it is just maddening. Now, on the energy side, you, you know, if you're not in recession here in the United States, you're getting very close. Okay. And regardless of whether that's going to change, and I don't think it's going to change it a whole lot, the supply demand dynamic. But remember, at the end of last year, oil sold off 26% in two weeks based off fears that the economy was going to shut down over Omicron. If you don't think 
that a recession here in the United States could drop oil 25 to 30 percent from here. Uh, you know, I think you're being unrealistic. So you even need to be careful on that side of things. Uh, on the energy side of things, I don't think it's a safe, easy bet. I think over the long run it is just because the cash flow scenario with these companies is so ridiculous. And like I said, everybody's like, well, it's not going to be a buy if oil goes to 70. You haven't done your homework. These things are spitting off mountains of cash to 70 bucks. And a lot of them are hedged like that one company I was telling you about. A lot of them are hedged at substantially higher oil prices. So it doesn't really matter if oil drops. So long term, I think it's great. Does that mean that those companies couldn't lose another 25 or 35 percent? No. Why? Because it doesn't matter now, right? No one's paying attention to the fundamentals, not our bureaucrats, not our politicians, not investors. It's just an odd time to be alive, man. I, facts and data and inputs and all that, it doesn't matter. It's all anecdotal memes. Well, it's, you know, you got to buy this, you got to buy that. Bitcoin, it's the inflationary, it's just, it's madness. Anyway, got to take a quick break, guys. If this is the kind of thought, if this is the kind of thought that you want, Going into your portfolios. If you want a portfolio, if you're in retirement, and we're going to talk about this in the question and answer segment, but if you're in retirement and you're looking at a piece of time like this and you're sitting there going, I don't want to be down 20 or 25% when something like this happens. I want to make sure I've got defense built into my portfolio so I can buy the boat that I want to do. I want to buy. I don't have to take three or four years off in retirement and wait for my assets to recover. I don't want to ever have to risk going back to work. I don't want to be forced to sell a car or a home. And when something really nasty happens, when we have the worst start to a year since 1970, I want to be, you know, maybe I'm up a little bit. Maybe I'm down a little bit. Market's down 20, 25%. I want to be down like two or three. Okay. That's where our clients are sitting. It's called risk management. Very easy. Give you more upside, less cost, substantially less risk and no bonds. It works, guys. There's a better way. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. You guys know the drill. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with listener questions. Stick with us through the break. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Tori Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right. Now, we've done this before, but I'm probably going to do it a lot more often now. And I don't know. It's just probably the spread of the show, um, which I still can't really believe that we've gone as far as we have. Uh, Anyway. I'm not going to try to get, I'm not going to get all nostalgic now. Um, But anyway, questions coming in from listeners. And we just have a lot more of them than we used to. So I'm going to try to take some time at least least once a month, maybe once every week, depending on how many keep coming in. But um, really good question I got. And I actually got a similar one last night when we were doing our uh, roadshow, our virtual roadshow, about gold and silver. And they're like, Zach, you know, you... Well, this last night I was asked a question about gold and silver, um, thought a really interesting uh, uh, question came through via email. One of the listeners emailed the show um, or emailed us and they said, hey, Zach, you said that you think that this is similar to the 70s. What do you think about gold and silver and will you get a repeat performance? Um, Look, I think eventually, yes, Um, for all kinds of reasons, meaning, you know, I look at the movement toward EVs. 
I think that you will find more industrial utilization for especially silver, but also gold because they're phenomenal conductors of electricity. Uh, they don't corrode. Well, gold doesn't corrode. Um, and so, and then also, right, we're seeing a lot of stress in currency markets. Um, and if you're a central bank and you're worried about the devaluation of your currency, uh, makes a lot of sense for you to buy gold. So I do think over time that they will do better. Um, but I do think that there is a difference. And one of the differences is in, in the seventies, up until 1971, you were on the gold standard and it, that basically had gold on lockdown at 35 bucks an ounce. And so gold really wasn't at 35 bucks an ounce. It was being price controlled, right? So I, it's, it, it, there are probably smarter people out there than me that could go back and calculate it. But even though gold was at $35 an ounce, it wasn't free trading. So it wasn't really at $35 an ounce. So a lot of that parabolic move you saw was a response to inflation, but it was also a response to the fact that now gold could be traded freely again. And I think it got, I think, I think it, it was illegal to own it or trade it. I want to say in 33, 32, something like that. Um, so yes, I think that they've got big upside potential, but it's not a sure bet. And again, it should be part of a diversified portfolio. And you guys know me, I think owning some gold and silver is not a bad idea. As far as the investment side is, I'd rather own the stocks. People go, well, why? What about the whole collapse of the economy? Guys, if the whole economy collapses, you're going to want canned food and ammunition. I've said this a hundred times. Maybe even cigarettes would be better. Alcohol, toilet paper, for crying out loud, right? Because if, if you were dealing with a whole economic collapse, what is, what is somebody going to do with your gold? They can't plant it and, and start growing a gold tree. And they're not going to grow a silver tree. They're not going to use it. People are like, I'm going to use it to barter. You know, people will want. No, they won't. They'll want fertilizer. They'll want guns. They'll want canned food, right? So do I think it's a valuable investment? Yes. But like I've said a lot of times, I think precious metals really are an insurance policy against currency collapse, right? That's really what they should be seen as. And if we want on the investment side, that's why I find the miners so much more attractive because, you know, look, the other thing is if you store gold at home, you got it in a safe. When you own gold via owning a gold company, a gold mining company, in a secure jurisdiction like North America or Canada, right? You got armed guards guarding their mines, right? And you own part of that company. So that's the way I'd rather play it. Um, another one I got, uh, retire in a recession. Is that a good idea? Should I delay my retirement for recession? Look guys, th th that is totally dependent on how your assets are managed, right? If you're in a portfolio like ours where you're down 2% or 3% or something like that total on the year, you probably have a, a pretty well-risk-managed portfolio. You probably have an active manager running your portfolio, and I think it's fine. That's the whole point of what we do, right? You, the results of your portfolio, the outcomes of your portfolio and the income it should produce should be unrelated to whether you go through recession or not. If a recession can ruin your retirement, you're in the wrong portfolio, right? Because you're going to have recessions in your retirement. And this is why I'm telling people, you need to m migrate out of the kind of portfolios you're currently in and get one that have significantly high, uh, uh, higher levels of security. And then what you do now, when you do, when you manage risk, there will be times where you don't make as much to the upside. But there are also times like now where you're down 2 or 3% and the market's down 21 and so it's in those down markets where we take our shots. It's in those down markets where we add risk and we get more aggressive because we're buying things cheaper. In retirement, we got to do things in reverse. Because regardless of economic outcomes, recession or bull market or whatever the case is, you can't pause your retirement. So you need to have a retirement. Like if, if you think a really nasty recession or depression could derail your retirement, you're in the wrong portfolio. We, and, and, and it's not just my opinion. We've seen it happen two times in the last 22 years with the tech bubble and then the financial crisis. You got your answer right there, and the modern financial industry doesn't have an answer. They're going to tell you, just ride it out. And then naturally, if you're an intelligent person, you should sit there and go, well, what am I paying you for then? Right? You're paying for somebody to prevent you from catastrophic loss. That's what we do, and we're not the only ones. There aren't nearly enough. The other one, why are interest rates so important? Guys, rates are so important, especially as it relates to housing, because that's the cost. Everybody's like, well, a 3% increase on mortgages isn't that much. Run it through a mortgage calculator. It makes the average mortgage go up 85%, somewhere thereabouts. 
Okay, if you think that the price of housing can go up 85% in the space of seven months and there's not going to be a problem, good luck. It is what it is, right? Interest rates going up make stock valuations fall, right? Why? Because I'm not going to take as much risk buying a stock when I can make three, three and a half percent owning a treasury versus one and a half, right? All these things are interrelated. So what do you need? You need risk management. You need to be good either way. You need a portfolio that can outpace inflation to the upside and meet your growth goals. But you should also have a portfolio that when you see you're on vacation sitting on a beach in Europe and the whole bloody world's falling apart, you might be down three or four or five, six percent, whatever the case may be. But you're not panicking. Why? Because you're managing your risk. And if you think the skies are blue and everything looks good and you're waiting for markets rally back to the high, God bless you. I hope you're right. Because if that happens, we'll make a bunch of money. I got to tell you, though. That does not seem like a likely outcome from where we're sitting. Now is a time to be cautious. This People are like, I'm down some. No, you're not. You're, you're further ahead right now than you were in January 2020. If you think this is ugly, just sit back and get some. Get your popcorn ready because things are going to get a lot more dicey. Anyway, we got to take quick or No, that's it for the show today. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend, a phenomenal Independence Day. Don't blow yourselves up. Play it cautious, right? Manage your risk. <laughs> not not just in your portfolio, but on the fireworks. Anyway, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week with a killer interview. I promise I'm not going to let you down. Between now and then, manage your risk. Stay frosty. Don't take foolish bets. Don't get crazy and do not try to trade this. This is a mess of a market. It is a chop shop and it's just going to chew you up. And as always, guys, if you want that bigger perspective, that risk manage approach, call us 866-779-RISK. We can run you through our whole program in 30 minutes, tell you what kind of portfolio, give you the information and wish you you're the best. You're not going to be twisting any arms. There's a better way to do this. You do not need to be staring at 20% losses. Okay. You can go through years like this where you're just basically flat. That's the way a retirement portfolio should work. Okay. Anyway, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.